by his power and by his might. What a great promise that is for all of us as his children tonight to know that he is in charge and in control of our universe and we can put our faith and trust in him. And uh, it's great to be able to have that kind of a, a confidence and a security. Tonight I'm going to share with you seven observations from this passage from verses 1 through 38. I'm not going to read it to you again. I want to highlight some verses that I think will, will amplify these observations. And then I'm going to give you three lessons from Sodom and three lessons from Lot as we end tonight. And I think the lessons at the end really do sort of bring a summary together of what this chapter is all about. The Bible records the life of many different people, many types of people. You know, when you start looking through the Bible, you see individuals like Abraham, and then you see others like Lot. And there's just a whole gamut of people that the Bible addresses for us. Some individuals start off very well. I would think of Saul starting off very well. What about Solomon? Boy, he had some advantages, but he started off well. No, they didn't end very well. Okay? They all had some difficulties. And uh, they closed out their life with failure and disaster and all those type of words that we could use this evening. Lot here is a person who really has a pretty significant place in Genesis when you think about it because of his relationship to Abraham. But he comes out of Mesopotamia, or the Chaldees, uh, because of his relationship to his uncle, Lot, uh, uncle Abraham. And... Um, he, we have ran into him before, you know, he made some choice. He was there at the beginning in chapter 12. He made some choices about the, the well-watered plain of Sodom. Uh, he was rescued by Abraham with all the other individuals of the East. So, you know, he's been interwoven throughout this entire experience with Abraham. And, uh, but you know that the one thing that sort of, sticks out to me would be the fact that after being rescued by Abraham by, uh, from the, the, the kings of the east, uh, you would think that would make a difference in his life. You know, you think that would cause him to sort of uh, stop and, and do some assessments. You know, what am I doing here? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, you make mistakes, but hopefully, you know, uh, I, we try to live by this sort of uh, idea, we learn from our mistakes. But it seems as if Lot never seems to learn anything. You know, and that's a tragic situation. Uh, because we're all going to make our mistakes, because we're not perfect. But, you know, we need to learn whenever we make a mistake. You know, we need to not just repeat it over and over again. And, and it would seem to me that Lot just doesn't get it. Uh, I'll say at the end, you know, I wouldn't even think the man's saved. It wasn't for was it First Peter. I got the reference here later on. First Peter, I think it is where he talks about his righteous soul. I mean, that's really the only indication that we have, and none of us are going to you know, dispute the, son of the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit tonight, so it has to be a fact. But he's rescued. And this really is a, a scary life record. And really, probably few individuals teach us any more than Lot does when you think about his position and his situation. So let me make these seven observations or seven points, maybe I should call them that, and, and just sort of to get a handle on this passage. And um, 
It's 36 verses, so let me just point out some with you. First of all, let's look at this angel angel visit that occurs in verses 1 through 3. Now remember, the other angel stays with Abraham, and what are they doing? Remember that? It's been a few weeks ago. Abraham is in there interceding, saying now, remember right before verse 19 in chapter 18, Lord, if we can find, because the angel says he's going to share with Abraham what's going to happen, Abraham says, if we can find 50 righteous people in Sodom, would you spare it? We go all the way down to 10. Remember that? The observation that I made there that I thought was significant is that Abraham stops asking before God stops giving. To me, that's that's just a tremendous thought to think about. So many times we stop asking, and um, who knows what God wants to do. But anyway, they're down to 10, and Abraham must think, surely I can find 10 people. I've got got myself and Mrs. Lot, two daughters and two son-in-law. Now, that's always troubled me because they're they're, they're not really married, it doesn't seem like, because he says he's going to sit them out with the men, so they're not in some... So I'm thinking it's the whole idea of Mary and Joseph, remember that, in their first year of of, uh, maybe it's the same kind of a local issue, and I didn't really study as much as I should have, but where they're sort of engaged to one another and they haven't actually been married yet because the passage does not seem to have four daughters. It has two daughters, you know. So there has to be something that's going on there in that situation. But anyway, uh, besides all of that, you know, these, uh, this family, you think, well, I can at least find six, and I'm sure Lot's had some influence, <laughs> maybe four more. But we'll see that's sadly not the case. So the angels, first of all, they visit after the one stays with Abraham. The other two come into Sodom, and they are meeting Lot because they find him, let's notice this, in the gates of the city, or at least they seem to find him, it says in verse 1, at the gate of Sodom. Now, if you understand local color, you know that those who stand in the gate are the judges of the place, okay? They seem to be the officials who make decisions. That's, I've got a problem here already, don't you? I mean, here he is, if he's part of the local government, what kind of city is he in? What kind of practices has this man been doing? Uh, If he has anything to do with how this city is being ran, and that would be the case, it would seem, as if he's there in the the gates of the place, uh, what in the world has he been doing all this time? But anyway, he's seated there in this this, uh, area of judgment. And uh, as he, they come to see Lot, and, and again, they know who he is because they're angels. Uh, Lot seems to know who they are. I don't think they had halos over their head. I don't think they wore some kind of bright clothes. But, you know, they, he at least knew who they were. And so as they come in, he's a very hospitable guy. He says, come on into my house, verse 2, and uh, spend the night there. I think they're sort of pressing them because they want to sort of see what this city is like, and they say, no, we'll not do that. We'll stay here in the street all night. We'll see what kind of town this is. We'll get a good opinion of what's going on here. But Lot urges them in verse 3. They do finally accept, don't they? And they accept his hospitality. You know, what a treat it must have been to have two angels come into your house and fellowship with you. Well, that would be a blessed thing. Them come in and you sit down and take bread together, have some conversation together. It would be a marvelous time whenever this would occur there in their household. Of course, that doesn't 
last too long, does it? Because after this angelic, angelic visit to Lot, secondly, we have the awful depravity that happens. And that's verses 4 through 11. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, you know. This is a disgusting situation. It's condemned in Scripture. And the interesting parts about this, and there are interesting parts about this, is the fact that these are from old to young, verse 4. Now that shows how pathetic and shot through with depravity Sodom actually is. And we are truly setting up for the judgment that's about to come that God's going to send upon them. It says that, and the boldness of this, now when used to preach this, uh, talk about this passage back when I was in Davenport, you know, this would kind of shock people and you'd never think about the boldness and coming around the house. You know, folks, this is all just commonplace now, isn't it? I mean, it's out there in our face. It's constant, this kind of behavior. And as we are progressing closer and closer towards the depravity of our nation, we are seeing this behavior become more and more widespread. I went to a public high school. I, I started in 1968, and I graduated in 1973, and I can tell you right now, I did not know one case of this any place in that high school. I didn't even know any drugs in that high school, public high school. Now, it was back in the sticks in the country. But still, you know, it just tells us how things have degenerated over the years. And, you know, this today is not just something that is talked about. It is, all, it is propagated. And it's an amazing situation. And we have even moved beyond this sin to even other sins that are perverted when it comes to interaction between males and females and all the other things that go on. So it's a terrible time that we find where this happened. And Lot seems to go out and, and try to uh, quell this to some extent. But the next part of this you know, always bothers me also, and I know it does you. Why in the world would he have, would we have verse 8 in this situation? Why in the world would this man, this father, make this statement? I have these two daughters that I'm going to send out to you. Makes me think that Lot truly has lost most of his spiritual aptitude. And I am glad for the Second Peter passage because when I read verses such as this, I have to think, what is going on in this man's mind? I heard somebody explain this, some liberal explain this one time. The sin here is not homosexual. Not, this is somebody explaining this, okay? So take it for that. The sin here is not homosexuality. The sin here is lack of hospitality. You ever listen to these kind of people talk? Now, it, it's really the fact that they didn't, they didn't show any hospitality to these people, and that's the reason why God had to judge them. What idiot would even preach or believe something like that? Here he is, though, taking his two daughters and saying, I will give them to you and do what is good in your own eyes, verse 8. What a statement to make to a bunch of individuals that truly have nothing good in their hearts. Verse 9 down through verse 11, we find that the angels do break into this thing. But it would seem to me that <clears throat> Lot is not showing hospitality, but he's really protecting his own life, trying to keep his position. I, I'm not sure this would not be, and I'm, no, no, I'm, 
putting out some things here. I'm not sure this wouldn't even be a political move. You know, he's the guy in the, in the gates of the city, and so he's protecting his political background because of the situation that happens to this point. I think the, um, the men themselves, their response is also very, very uh, pungent at this point. Where they said, you know, you entered into us, and now you've become a judge over us. So, you know, anytime he starts to make any kind of a, a rational statement or a, or a moral statement about their lives, it instantly brings up these kind of comments that are made there in, in verse 9. So, depraved, this is not God's will. This is why God judges. This is exactly the reason why God intervenes in history. Remember I've said this, God intervenes in history two times throughout the whole Bible. There's two times that he broke in. Oh, it might be a third time if you want to use the illustration whenever Joshua calls upon God to stop the day so they can kill the Amalekites even greater. That would be in Judges. I just read that, the, or Joshua, you read the other day. But the two times that he overtly interrupts into human history would be the flood. And that's because of the wickedness of man was great upon the earth, right? <clears throat> Genesis chapter <clears throat> 6, I think, is where that comes from. And this is the other time that he interrupts the human history because of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's going to be a third time, which is future for us. That's when he comes and raptures us out of this world. He's going to interrupt human history. And I guess the real part of that would be when he brings his judgment upon this land or this country, this, not only this country, but this world that you see at the end of the book of Revelation. So this is only the third time, the second time out of three that God interrupts human history. So this is not a small issue for God, right? That's the point I'm trying to make here. If he only does it three times, and one of them is because of homosexuality, and also because of the attitude that Lot has, must be very severe. And to try to somehow smooth it over and justify truly is outside of God's plan. So we have this awful depravity. And thirdly, we have a solemn warning that happens in verses 12 through 14. And the warning is, to Lot, get yourself out of this town. Have you son-in-laws, sons, daughters? Whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. Get away from this place. He's inquiring, the angels are, about his kin, his kin people. The command is get them out of the city because God is going to destroy this place, right? Verse 13, he is going to destroy it completely and totally. It's going to be over. And so here goes Lot, and he tries to convince his son-in-laws. Here's the part I was talking about earlier. Must have been engaged somehow to his daughters. What a great testimony Lot is. You know, they, they seem to just sort of, maybe they don't laugh at him, but it says they seem to be mocking. Uh, he seems as one that mocked unto his son-in-laws. So his, his <coughs> testimony has not been sterling. His lifestyle has not brought any kind of conviction. Whenever he comes to this point, you know, they're sort of taken back. Well, what a statement to make about this man's life. Now, I don't know how long he's been there. We don't have any idea. We can't even speculate you know, if he's been there for years or months. But still, you think he would have made some kind of an impression upon this group. But no. Here they are. You know, are you mocking us? 
they are surprised to hear <coughs> that he doesn't go along with all the things that are going on in the city. And he is one who seems to be in government, or at least in some kind of a position of judging. If uh, it held true in Sodom as it would in the Near East, I see no reason to doubt that whatsoever. So you find that you know, his testimony is, the testimony of his life did not agree with the testimony of his lips. That's an important point. The testimony of our life must always match the testimony of our lips. And here comes Lot to his sons-in-law and says, you know, we've got to get moving. But yet his life is not consistent with that. And they think he's joking with them because his testimony is not the same. It's not consistent. And we find that life is, you know, it's something that God wants to use true light, and we must match our life with our words. It's not enough just to talk a good game. You've got to play it. You've got to do it. We've got to be involved. And you know, these individuals who promote stuff and talk about games and boxing matches and all these kind of things, and they can tell you everything's going to happen. Until they actually play the game, you don't know what's going on, do you? Same thing is true for God's people. We've got to be individuals that match our words and our life. They have to be consistent. It can't be do as I say, but not as I do. What a terrible philosophy for anyone to espouse in this world today. Solemn warning. Get out of the city. It's, it's coming. Be very careful. Number four, after the angelic, angelic visit, the awful depravity, the solemn warning, we have this urgent deliverance in verses 15 through 22. This is quite a passage, too, when you think about it. Here we have the angels saying, let's get going. Uh, daybreak happens. It would, it would seem to be a rise. Okay, so verse 15, it would seem as if we're talking about early in the morning. Well, verse 17 says that. Verse 15 says that. Arise and get your wife and your two daughters. They must have already known the son-in-laws have said, no, we're not going. And it's time to go. Now, verse 16. And while he lingered. Well, that's a very illuminating phrase. While he lingered. God's going to destroy this place. He lingers. He sort of hesitates. And notice, it's not just a hesitation. The men lay hold on his hand. They actually grab him and they start to pull on him. I don't think I'm out of line by using that kind of an illustration here. They take him by the hand and the hand of his wife. So you got two of them. It must be one angel takes Lot and his wife and the other angel takes the two daughter-in-laws and they have to sort of drag them out of the city because... Their hearts are in Lot. Their, their, their hearts are in Sodom. Sodom has taken over their lives. And as they are leaving, here's Lot again, verse 17. Please, now don't make me go out into some kind of a place. Let me go to another city. Wouldn't you just be tickled? Wouldn't you just be, I was going to say tickled pink. Wouldn't you just be excited by the fact that God was going to allow you not to be judged? Let's all get this thing going. Let's get ourselves out of here. But no, he says, now, now, now sir, 
let, let, let's see about this thing. Now, I know I don't really want to leave, and there's a city over here that would be nice. Let's take everybody and go. No, that's not the way you treat God's messengers. When God speaks in the Bible, when some, God wants something, people obey instantly. God demands that. Now, they acquiesce to his demands and let him go to this city, and they flee to this place. And in verse 21, we find that you know, they stayed so. So verse 22, it says, Hasten thou, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou come thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. Now, there's another phrase here. I cannot do anything until you get out of the city. In other words, God says, I am not going to judge until the righteous individuals, and I, righteous, <laughs> are gone. Let me just make an application here. I don't think I'm out of context. Isn't it an amazing thing how God protects the righteous? How he protects his individuals with the song we sing, you know, hold me fast. He protects us in times such as this. And here's Lot, and we'll see down in verse, I think it's verse 22 or 23, that's really because of Abraham, right? It's because of Abraham that he, that he does not judge Lot. But he says, I can't really do this this destruction, this judgment until you finally get yourself out of the city. And so they leave the city and they get to the other place. The divine judgment happens in verses 23 through 26. And we find it and we know the account. When the sun had risen and Lot entered into Zorah, the Lord rained upon Sodom and among Gomorrah brimstone fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those, those cities and all the plains and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. The family had got away. The brimstone, the fire comes. The, the judgment of God falls from the sky upon this city of the plains, Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're watching this, or at least they are running away from this. And even... Luke quotes this next verse whenever Lot's wife... You know, have you ever noticed that section in Luke where he's, he's going down through that section, all of a sudden he says, remember Lot's wife. Now, if we have that in one of the Gospels, that should cue us to something very special, that we are to remember Lot's wife and the fact that she had to look back because she had to be totally attracted to Sodom. And when she looks back, she's covered with this brimstone and fire, it would seem, a pillar of salt. Because of her <clears throat> disobedience and her longing, she could never get herself out of the world. The world had her. Sodom had her. <clears throat> we got to be careful that the world doesn't get a hold of our lives. You know, when you got a weak husband... And you got a wife that's taken with the world and doesn't want anybody to interrupt her. It's no surprise that they have the family life they have because the leadership of this home really is pathetic. God judges homes because of pathetic leadership. And we find that here. He can't even keep his wife from looking back to this place that she thought was such a lovely area of life. They were popular in Sodom. They enjoyed Sodom. 
but not popular with God. You can't have it both ways. You're popular with one or the other. You can't ride the fence. You either love him or hate him. And to try to merge our lives into some kind of a individual or a, a neutral or middle position between the two ends up in neither one having any kind of future. <clears throat> and she truly becomes a pillar of salt. So the popularity of Sodom had got a hold of her heart. Boy, many Christians today, the world has their hearts. They have to have that popularity of what's going on around them. Divine judgment. Powerful intercession, though, number five or number six, I'm sorry. There's powerful intercession going on here, verses 27 through 29. Good old Abraham. Aren't you glad to get back to Abraham? <clears throat> Abraham is the one who brings light through a lot of this. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. What a place to be before God. He stands before God and he's going to intercede. Abraham truly is a, a marvelous, amazing person. Yes, he has his Achilles heels, or heel. You can have two. He's had some problems, <clears throat> but he is there interceding before God. And he stood before the Lord. He knew his place. And he's looking over the city, right? Verse 28. He looks over Sodom and Gomorrah and he sees the smoke as the smoke of a furnace. Now that means it's hot. Reminds me of the fiery furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Ananias, Hazariah, and Mishael, their Hebrew names, were cast into. He really hadn't ceased to pray, had he? Because he's still asking the Lord. and uh, you know, He probably should have asked for less, but this was God's will, of course. God delivered these, <clears throat> we would say four, but... Really, it's down to three at this point, right? Because Mrs. Lot has already turned her back upon the entire situation. And in verse 29, it says, The Lord destroyed the cities of the plain, <coughs> that God remembered Abraham. This is the verse I was talking about earlier. That God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. Lot dwelt there. He was at home there. He was comfortable there. And God overthrew those cities when that happened. And you know, if that's not bad enough, and it is, the last eight verses, or maybe nine verses, had this unutterable shame, would be number seven on the list. And the scene as I see this really is the, would be the height of depravity. As you... See how far down into the sewer that Lot has actually allowed himself to go. And we know the account here that these two daughters fear they're not going to have any kind of offspring. And again, drunkenness and impurity are often associated. Somebody said, and I thought this was an interesting comment I read in one of my commentaries, it could have been the high point for Lot that only by drunkenness could his daughters achieve this. Hey, you got to think about that one for a while, don't you? You know, you got to really turn that one over and uh, work on that a little bit because it doesn't seem like Lot is any kind of a sterling example from word go. And these countries, 
Moab and Ammon become two of the greatest enemies of Israel. Lot had really had totally fallen into the depths of shame. And he had passed into a position that even in our culture today, as perverted as it is, and I'll say this now, probably in 10 years this will not be true either, this is still viewed as some kind of a terrible sin. The way things are degenerating rapidly in our culture today, you hate to make any kind of drastic and dire statements, don't you? But folks, I cannot imagine that even cultures such as we live in will allow themselves to degenerate to these kind of depths. But again, I've been wrong before. <clears throat> and <clears throat> it is totally surprising sometimes what we as individuals can degenerate to be. Lessons from Sodom, lessons from Lot. I got three apiece. Three lessons from Sodom <clears throat> that I think really do put an exclamation point on this chapter. And they're not on the screen, just the lessons. They're just lessons from Sodom. First one is this. We observe the awful extent of human depravity. When you read this chapter, I think you move to the very lowest. Using these superlatives sometimes come back again to haunt you. But we move into some of the lowest times of, 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 of actual deviant behavior that we can see. This is probably one of the worst chapters in the Bible. You know, I could think of others where, uh, in, in Judges, where the, the man has his, his concubine, and after he sends her out all night, they cut her up in little pieces and send one to each, each one of the tribes. You know, there's other low points, but this is low. And when you read this, you think to yourself, how desperate can people be? How, how low can society sink? Well, you know, we're seeing some of those answers already, aren't we? We're already looking and seeing how depraved and totally depraved man is without God. This shows to us the extent of evil when it takes hold of the human nature and how evil human nature can be. When you remove divine law and you set aside any kind of restraints that come from God himself, there are scarcely any, no limits to human degeneration or degeneracy. One of the first lessons I see from Lot is the terrible extent of human depravity. Second thing I find from Sodom is the mark of certain divine judgment. You get the idea here that the iniquity of Sodom was full. This is the, the mark of divine judgment. I think it's important for us to see this tonight, <clears throat> that God has a limit. I, find, <clears throat> I can't remember where it's at now. <clears throat> There's a New Testament place where, where it looks like he's, he's storing up judgment. One day he's going to unleash his, his, his divine wrath upon that judgment. Well, this tells us that there comes a time whenever the, the iniquity of a place can be full. I wonder where America is, don't you? if the iniquity of America is not filling up rather rapidly because of the deviancy that we are seeing today all around us. There's no fact greater in this universe 
of the fact that God is concerned about sin. God is not indifferent to sin. It placed His Son on a cross. Sin did that. And He is concerned about sin today. Third, and this one's positive, the marvel of divine grace. God, why didn't you give up on Lot? God, is he ever going to learn? But again and again and again, God works with Lot. And he does not, in our est my estimation, I'm going to speak for us, our estimation, seem worthy of it. But that brings me another application. I am so glad that God is merciful to us when we did not seem worthy of that mercy also. And in our sins, we are not worthy of his mercy. And he continues. I mean, he rescues him with Abraham. <clears throat> he allows the whole situation to go <coughs> with the areas or with uh, the choosing of the, uh, of the land. And here again, he rescues him from this terrible situation. And yet we have another terrible situation that occurs. I marvel at the divine mercy, don't you? All I can do is marvel at divine mercy. You step back and you just thank God for His mercy. Lessons from Lot. There's three of them. I want to kind of summarize them a little shorter. First thing is, His dangers can easily be our dangers. What are His dangers? Things that are lawful are not always right. This would appear to be the mindset of the city. The Supreme Court probably had gotten together and passed laws. No, I'm putting those words there. But things that are lawful are not always right. And we need to hear that today in our country. So we find that the sin here is basically, you know, he, he chose a good place for his flocks. He chose a good place for his herds. He was thinking about his prosperity and his economics. The sin here is not putting earthly ease. The sin is putting earthly ease and prosperity first. Possessions must not have us. Lots of picture of that. You know, somebody said a ship cannot take on water, or a ship can be in the water, but it's wrong to have water in the ship. Right? We can be in the world, but we don't have the world in us. If you've got enough water in the ship, it's going to sink. And Christians who have enough world in them are going to be rendered ineffective for the cause of Christ. Compromise was another issue for Lot. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. Then he enters the city of Sodom. Then he lives in Sodom, and now he's in the gates of Sodom. He's part of the entire process there. And his words were nothing without his deeds. We find that I'm sure he thought, I can be a good testimony. I can go into Sodom and I'll win people to the Yahweh way. I'll put it in their language. But that doesn't seem to happen, does it? I don't find him being a very consistent testimony. Missionaries to Muslim countries have done more than Lot did in the whole city of Sodom. So... A Christian has to stay outside of Sodom to testify against it. Gee, boy, I can, I can go on with this one. You know, you can't, you know, we can't open up a strip bar here in the church and, decide, and, and somehow to think we're going to bring in people for church. It, it just doesn't work. 
You can't bring the world in. You just can't do those things. And, and, and that's what he's doing. He's compromising. You know, you've you got to stay outside of Sodom. If you're going to have any kind of witness. Worldliness. You know, his character is really seen in the choices he makes. The best of the land. I don't want those mountains. I want the best down here. I want my cattle to have good times. I want them to really grow, and I want some herds. Worldliness always affects the home life, doesn't it? Boy, isn't that a true statement? Always affects the home life. Whenever worldliness starts to raise its head inside of a home, <clears throat> it will affect the entire group, especially when dad leads the charge. His happiness, but his soul was vexed. Here's my reference, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. So he had to know that he was God's child, but still worldliness has shot through his entire system. It's always going to be this way when God isn't first. We will be ashamed of him from this morning. When you put him second, you're going to be miserable. I would think that Lot, whenever he wakes up from his drunken stupor, would be miserable, wouldn't you? I, mean, I, can, I can make that assumption this evening because of the events that have happened. Well, his dangers may be ours. Secondly, his weaknesses also may be ours. You know, he's fine as long as Abraham's there. But when he's by himself and there's no other Christians around, not so good. He has problems. So he, lack, he needs stronger influence on his life. He's a little wishy-washy. He sort of blends into the culture wherever it's at. He lacked decisiveness. You know, from the moment he separates from Abraham, he seems to be very indecisive. I mean, what's he doing? He's lingering. He's, he's wandering, go to a different city. Uh, he doesn't want to leave Zoar, and then he goes to the mountains. The man is just sort, of a, just sort of wandering from one situation to the next situation. He needs to have some decisions and firmness of character. There comes a time whenever you've got to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There has to come a time when you put some stakes in the earth <clears throat> and say, we are not going to cross these stakes. We are going to attend church. We are going to be a witness. We're not going to allow that kind of dress and behavior to go on in our hearts, and our lives. You drive some stakes. Wishy-washy. Whatever way the wind currents pushed him, that's where he went. He can't even make up his mind to leave a place that's going to be destroyed. They've got to take him by the hand. He has so much of the world in him, and he has so much of a pull to please his wife and everybody around him and have his government position and his economics feathered that he can't even make a decision to leave this place of horror where it is shot through with every kind of vice and, and perversion that our minds can think of. When do you drive a stake? Thirdly, Lot's needs may be our needs. Lot's needs may be our needs. <clears throat> Wholehearted trust is what we need. His religion only covered a small part of his life, I would think. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 states that. Again, it's hard to believe the man's a believer. 
If it wasn't for the testimony of Second Peter, you know, his religion seems to be very, very nominal in his life, if there at all. He's a backslider. That's just use the word, right? If he's saved, Second Peter, we're going to say, yeah, we have to say that he is. He's a backslider. He's a failure. What's he end up? Here he is, choosing the well-watered plains of Sodom. The best of everything. So his empire can grow. What's he end up with? A whole pillar of salt. Two, I don't even know how to describe this. Two children that are bore by, I'm trying to be real nice. Two children are born by very, very illegitimate methods. His life is a mess. And I don't think anybody would argue with me because his choices were we've got to do what's good for business. We've got to do what's popular. And he ends up a terrible failure. We must keep our lives close to God and his people. We must never try to get halfway between godliness and worldliness. It doesn't work. And there's no greater example of that than Lot is there. Father.